Welcome to Hype Louisville, where we bring you the most exciting things happening in our city and talk to the people making it happen. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew Beckman and Nathan Shanks. Let's get hyped. Hype Louisville, what is up? Welcome back. We are at it again. I've got my co-host here, Andrew Beckman. What's up? We are very excited about today's guest, and uh, we can't wait to hear from her. We have Jane Moreau here with us today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with both of you. We are very happy to have you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah Jane, uh, really appreciate you taking the time today, and um, I, we'd love to to hear a little bit more about you. And uh, without without further ado, could you could you get into a little bit about who you are, what you've been doing the past few years, and uh, what's next? Yeah, sure. Let's um, let's start with who I am. I always said um, Ed Brown Foreman when I talked about my leadership jo- uh, story, who I am as a person and who I am as a leader can't be separated. Mm-hmm. And so I always think about what made me who I am in three parts. First part being uh, my childhood. So just to give you a little background, I'm a homegrown tomato. That's what they used to call us at KFC when pet, when they came down from New York, uh, purchased New York, and mm-hmm. PepsiCo took over. Um, so I've been born and bred in, in Louisville my whole life. Um, I'm one of seven kids. I'm the middle wow. ch- middle child, mm-hmm. um, the oldest girl. So I got three younger sisters and three older brothers. So wow. I was the peacemaker, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, we grew up in a, not deep South End, so South Southside Drive area. Yeah, yeah. I went to um, St. John Vianney, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist as a school anymore, and Holy Rosary, which was a high school that doesn't exist anymore. So two pro, I guess, Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and went on to U of L and got my undergrad degree and uh, my master's both from U of L. Um, but what I like to talk about in terms of my background and who made me uh, who I am or how come I am the way I am is really goes back to my father. Um, and he was a skilled machinist. So my mother or father weren't college educated, and all seven of us are. And wow. we all have undergrad degrees. And postgrads and a doctorate, well, one of us has. So everybody yeah. has oh, at least wow. their masters. That's so, impressive. But it's because of him, oh. and mom too, but uh, definitely him. Because um, we thought, I mean, there wasn't anything he couldn't figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he couldn't do problem solving. Um, attitude all came from him. So, for instance, he would help my sister uh, when she was in speed school. Do trigonometry. He didn't have trigonometry, but she needed some help, and he yeah. taught it to himself and taught it to her. That is awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. So what just a great dad. That was, yeah. That's great a dad. dad. Yeah. Yeah. So he found time to do all that. He also worked three jobs just to get us through mm-hmm. our, our primary schools. We all worked our way through college, either scholarships or grants yeah. or whatever. But we all had to do that. Gosh, on our own. seven kids through private. <sighs> At the grade time, school and, and high, high school. school, yeah, yeah. And of course, it still wasn't. I think grade school was a little bit different than it is now. But mm-hmm. high school was, yeah, probably yeah. relatively speaking, was still expensive Heck back yeah. then. So, yeah. But I've mentioned him uh, only because he was. He took me and my brothers always attribute what they call my success to them, mm-hmm. and so it was me and my brothers, and he would take us down to the schoolyard and. Uh, I could throw the ball further than them. I could run faster than them or whatever, even though I was the youngest of the three of them, at the, of four of them, counting myself at that time. Yeah. 
Um, and so I became very competitive. Mm-hmm. And so that competitive drive, that problem solving, the attitude, um, the humility too was very humble guys. Like, okay, you beat them, get out there and do it again. Yeah. Yep. Or, yeah. I don't really, you know, just don't gloat. So right. just be, yep. be yeah. I love it. So a lot of those characteristics are really in all of us, but um my competitiveness definitely came from him and from my brothers. I have to attribute my some of that to them. <laughs> Give them some credit. Give them some credit. Yeah. Um, and then one thing that happened when we were all young, he got diagnosed with cancer when we were, I was 11, and oh here gosh. I am. All my mother's like hadn't worked since my oldest brother was six months old, and so it's like, what is she going to do with seven kids? Wow. Luckily, um, he prayed, and we did all of the things, um, and he he survived all that actually uh-huh. lived eventually got him but he got us grown anyhow yeah um but we watched him go through um you know, chemotherapy in the afternoon and the next day go back to work he never missed a day of oh work there at all God. oh my gosh and so the work ethic then came from him so yeah. every one of us had this incredible work ethic that you're gonna do it you're not gonna feel sorry for yourself going to keep going. We never miss work. You never miss school. You never miss those things. And I yeah. think it's because of that. So I only mentioned some of that because it, it is, it made me who I am. Yeah, as, absolutely. You know, of course. Striving for excellence, problem solving, yeah, yeah. Um, humility, uh, not feeling sorry for yourself, positive attitudes. And so yeah. that's part one. Um, and yeah. so also from that experience, my mother, not knowing how she was going to raise all of us, right. says, you girls you all are going to go to school. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to college. You don't. You can't depend on me, and you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do, yeah. but I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to college, and yeah. that, I never questioned it. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time when I was, um, and this is back in the late 70s, not all everybody, women went to college. A lot mm-hmm. of them didn't. And so here I am thinking I'm going to be a traditional occupation that most people went in nursing, teachers, think of those type of things. Mm-hmm. And I had taken accounting classes through Bellarmine um, in high school. And um, the teacher that taught it to us said, you're really good at this. And when I went to first semester at UofL, they're like, we don't need teachers. Uh I'm like, I didn't need teachers at the time. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll go into accounting. There's not many women. This teach my math teacher from high school to, or from Bellarmine says you're really good at this. Yeah. All right. Before I know it, that's what I majored in. I yeah. majored in accounting. So that's kind of how I ended up going in the accounting profession. It mm-hmm. was like I have to go to school because my father, my mm-hmm. mother, not knowing it. Yeah. That what am I going to major in? No, no teachers need it. Okay, accounting's easy. Here I am, and so um, I went into uh, accounting, and it was. You know, accounting, you get exposed to all kinds of courses in business from marketing to mm-hmm. to management to economics. So, uh, you know, pretty broad spectrum of business right. that you get associate, uh, exposed to. Well, and I started off at KFC. A lot of my f- friends went straight into public accounting. I went uh, uh, industry right. route at KFC, which is probably the second leg of the stool. Remember, so okay. the first leg was yep. my family or my background. It's amazing. You look back on your life and you think about who you are, you can pinpoint it, mm-hmm. a lot of it to your childhood. Mm-hmm. But the second leg was really during my um, uh, time at KFC. Mm-hmm. And that's when I we started, we had a family. Um, KFC was owned by three different companies. So 
it was like totally three different cultures and three different companies that wow. I worked for. Mm-hmm. It was owned by Hublon, which was a liquor company. Oh, my gosh. I come back around. Yeah. Um, R.J. Reynolds, a tobacco company, and then finally PepsiCo, who then spun them off later into Yum. Okay. Uh, and wow. so during so learning how to be agile and adapting and, oh, yeah. and being resilient to different styles and leaderships and mandates and things like that, you learn I learned a lot from that time. Oh yeah. I also learned, um, gosh, when I first started there a year and a half later, they promoted me to a supervisor. I was like twenty-two years old. I had seven people reporting to me, some as old as my mother. Everyone was older than me. Uh-huh. The youngest was thirty-one, so it's like Okay. Wow. How do you, uh, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, they bring me these problems, people problems. There, none of this is in college, right? They don't teach yeah. you right. the EQ, the softer skills. They mm-hmm. get you all this book yeah. stuff. And so um, I stubbed my toe pretty hard several times. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody I could really learn from or that I felt that I learned. <laughs> Maybe I could have learned more, more from others, but I think they actually did it on purpose to let me stub my toes and yeah. learn pretty quickly how to manage people. That people are different. You can't treat them all the treat them all as equal human beings, of course. But you mm. can't motivate everybody the same way. And I learned that pretty quickly. Yeah. People are different. They beat to different drums. What works for one may not work for another. Yeah, right. Um, like I said, I had my uh, a child. Uh, Jacqueline was born, and Greg right at the end of, before I'm, I uh, actually uh, left KFC. So that was a changing life-changing experience for us, my husband and I, in terms of priorities and balance, work-life balance, a whole new meaning of work-life balance. I could spend a whole podcast on that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But maybe most importantly, I learned when Pepsi came in, um, and I was there for about five years with them, but all the people that I had looked up to that had brought me into KFC that I had learned from, that I'd watched, that perhaps mentored me, that cared for me. Um, every Friday, it seemed like I'd come in and one of them was let go. Next Friday, another one. And it was like death by a thousand cuts. Oh, my God. For some reason, they loved me. <laughs> they had yeah. big ideas for me. Yeah. And um, I uh, wasn't necessarily looking for a job. It's, I was maybe young at the time and thinking yeah, I had a loyalty to the company. Mm-hmm. My first company out of college after all. Yeah. You've and been there how ten, long at this point? About 10 years. 10, okay. Yeah. And so I, um, um, some, a friend of mine who worked at Brown Foreman, her husband worked at Brown Foreman and mm-hmm. she was in tax department at KFC said, Hey, there's a job at Brown Foreman. And I'm like, okay, it's a lateral move. What the heck? I'll put yeah. my name in the head part. Guy stood me up three times, by the way, that it was an interview. Oh, my I, gosh. He and I still talk. We have big times about that. <laughs> That's uh, funny. But it's so funny, but it is like, it was uncharacteristic of me. It made me more determined. I was like, yeah. who is this jerk? <laughs> that is Anyways. So I take it they're still there? or uh, No, he's left the company. Okay. Uh, he left Brown Farm. He went on to other things. Okay, there. okay, gotcha. But, but anyways, we still uh, contact. Yeah, absolutely. But what I, so I ended up getting the role, and I, I gave him six-week notice. Who would give six-week notice? It's not in Europe. That's unheard but, of. But uh, you do it in Europe. But mm-hmm. anyway, um but what I learned from that experience um, once I got to Brown Foreman was really how really unhappy I was. Uh, and it was at PepsiCo. Right? At, or, the leadership, the right. culture of the company had changed so much from when I had joined it, which was very family oriented. So mm-hmm. Colonel Sandals, even though it was owned by Hugh Blind, they kind of left 
John Y. Brown and his culture alone, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, I've realized that um, what they valued, they valued uh, where you went to school. Gosh, I had the same books that you had at Harvard or oh, yeah, yeah. I remember University of Northwestern yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It's like you get out of it, yeah, what mm-hmm. you put into it. So yep. You get good teachers and you get paid. Yeah. So anyways, so is that where they were placing values or placing values on not experience, but got to have the pedigree from not only these named schools, but from Purchase New York and things like yeah. that. So a lot of the values, I guess, is where I'm <clears throat> um, hitting it. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize um, the the unhappiness I had, but also that the values weren't matching up with mine. And so I always tell people from that part of my life, first of all, have confidence in yourself. <clears throat> You can find something if you're not happy. Mm-hmm. You need to do so reflections. Yes. Um, you need to make sure that a company matches your values. Mm-hmm. Don't stay. You can find something else. It's not worth it. You're not giving yourself all to it at the end of the day. You're yeah. not as productive. Mm-hmm. Um, and after all, you have your family, and that's what matters in the end. It and is. so that was probably my second part of my life that made me realize the importance of matching companies, being passionate about what mm-hmm. I do, making sure the values of the company if it's trust and respect right. and teamwork for yeah. there. Yeah. And oh. as future CFO, I'm sure you had a lot to do with how even today that is such a big deal at Brown Foreman. Everyone that works there the culture. is, is yeah. so happy and loves the culture and has those values that you're talking about right now. Yeah, it was so. great. Uh, it, absolutely. Um I had the fortune when I first went to Brown Foreman to work with, uh, I think, some of the greatest leaders that Brown Foreman's ever had. Mm-hmm. And that was Owsley Brown II and um, Bill Street and Paul Varga. Mm-hmm. They were absolutely the best um, gentlemen, mm-hmm. smart as whips. I mean, they cared about you from the get-go. I can remember, yeah. here I am, just a little kid, I felt like a little kid going into Alsie Brown's office. He said, could Jane come up and see me? He had a little stool set beside his desk. Um, and he said, come sit here. I always I'm little Miss Muffet sitting on this little tuffet. <laughs> <laughs> and he was teaching me. He was asking me questions. It was a system that uh, myself and another guy put together. It was called Clarity. It was our first executive information system. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. It was cool for the time we were ahead of the time. I'm yeah. proud of that. Yeah. But anyway, and he would ask me, what's going on in Iceland? And what's doing here? And stuff like that. And and he was, a little did I know how much he was actually teaching me, um, um, but he took the time and he would ask me questions about what did I think about this and what did I think about that. So I always said he was ahead of his time in, in terms of inclusivity mm-hmm. and listening. Yeah. And making you feel like you're important. And then yeah. Bill Street, I'd come in on a Monday morning, inevitably for a number of years. Jane, this is Bill Street. <laughs> yeah, this is Long Drought. <laughs> and he'd have a long question for yeah. me. Uh-huh. So I worked with him for a number uh, of years. But Paul, then I worked directly with. Um, mm-hmm. And Paul's just. He's such a nice such guy. Such a great guy. He really and is. I had the fortune to learn a ton from him, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, just, so you know, and those were people that lived and walked the values of the company yeah. that felt so great. Yeah. And um, made it part of myself and fat with me, and hopefully I 
helped uh, continue that filling with the people that I worked with for a number of years. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah, I'm sure the ripple effect was in full effect uh, yeah. with that, for yeah. sure. So, anyways, it was, it was good. I learned tons during that time. And they gave me opportunities to work on things that I would have never have dreamed that I would have got to do. Mm-hmm. Places I got to travel with Brown Foreman around the world that I never would have ever had the opportunity to do. So here's this little yeah. company in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. yeah. What was it like as a woman having yeah. that be much less... I'm back then. I mean, I wasn't even born yet, but oh, please, much, <laughs> much less popular having a woman in leadership than today. Yeah. Although we're not fully where we need to be, but um, much better than than it was then. What was that like yeah. for you, kind of bla- blazing that trail for for others? Well, um, I would say both at KFC, particularly when I first went there, there was no no women up that I could look up to. And then when I went to Brown Foreman, it's a very male-dominated, it was at the time. It still is a lot in certain areas of Mm -hmm. the company just because of the uh, background of where people come from, the education fields and so forth like that. So I was the only one sometimes in the room. Mm -hmm. And so your voice isn't heard. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You'd have some so and so next to you, John next to me, say the same thing. I just, I'm like, John, I just said that. And everybody goes, that was a great idea, John. Yeah. And I'm like, so things like uh-huh. that. And I didn't, you know, I would, I would feel it. I would never say it per se to people. Um, you know, I just felt like, okay, I got to keep my head down. I got to keep trying. I keep going. They'll notice me. They'll listen to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, it really wasn't until um, a fellow named Ralph Deshaw Bear, Bear and Owsley Brown was good in this because he would always say, Jane, didn't you just? So he was good at it. But really when Ralph Deshaw Bear came to Brown Foreman and started educating the company and many of us in terms of, it wasn't that people were trying to be bad or weren't right. listening. It's just what they were used to. Um, right. They weren't used to women talking. Are they... Well, the, maybe the way we said things didn't come out the same way as a, another person, a, a male or, or whatever. Um, and so we, he taught us all to start taking our blinders off. My 4910 South First Street, I grew up in the south end of town, yeah. and taking my blinders off a bit and making my perspective right or even my own. And that gave me some then confidence to where I could then go to talk to people after a meeting after that we were in, and I'm like, hey, John, you know, I said that. I didn't hear you say that. And I'm like, okay, well, let's let's try to raise our awareness and help right. each other. And mm-hmm. so, because I needed, you need male allies of is what you need. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be two women doing it together, although you, the more that there wasn't just one, me being one, the more that there were more of us in there, the better it was yeah. uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I can't pretend like it was always easy, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't uh, say that I'm not proud of the work that's been done, yeah. particularly since about 2007 at Brown Foreman uh-huh. on. And to your point, they're not at equity at all levels of the company, but they've got goals set for themselves. And it's not goals to just hit numbers. It's right. really meant to get the best candidates. It's really meant to get the best ideas, to get the best creativity. Mm-hmm. Um 
in the company. And we all win when that happens, right? It doesn't exactly. matter your color, your skin, or or your gender, or your sexual preference, or whatever. Everybody mm-hmm. wins in that. And so, uh, yeah. but it wasn't always easy, I'll just say that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Every time she'd get frustrated and you'd go back and... <laughs> 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 yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. He- you had mentioned, um, you know, some of the struggles at being the only woman. Was it a lonely experience uh, most of the time, or what was that that like? Yeah, very much was uh, a lonely experience uh, because there wasn't anybody I could really talk to that was necessarily was in the situation that I was in, um, or that I felt like I could talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's like talk to, yeah. Hey. What do you, how do you deal with this? What are you, you know, don't, I don't want to be a complainer. You know, people, yeah. a lot of things enter your mind. Mm-hmm. You're like, hey, I've got to conform to this environment. And if I'm a, am I a complainer, then I'm going to be labeled as such. And mm-hmm. there's all these things that go through your mind. Even, yep. I think uh, uh, I may have mentioned this to you all earlier when I was, I found out I was, um, pregnant with uh, one of my kids, Um, PepsiCo was going through a reorg at the company at the time. And I'm like, okay, I don't want that to any way affect affect Mm -hmm. where they're going to put me. Mm -hmm. And this reorg kept going on. And I don't think I was six months pregnant. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can remember wow. a couple of women in the bathroom saying, oh, congratulations. With your Anyways, none of the guys noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I finally announced it. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, I went in the next Monday and said, hey, Jeff, I'm having a baby. Oh, congratulations. When do you do? August 1st. And they're like. That's like. Yeah. Four months from now. That's three weeks <laughs> months from now. Yeah. But, uh, but you don't know. And this is not, I think if you were, I was uh, part of Brown Foreman's uh, Grow organization, which is a grow of remarkable, outstanding women. Mm-hmm. Women would still tell that tell stories like that today. Again, mm-hmm. the fear that you're not committed or you won't be committed once the baby is born to the job that you're going to take a, and you're not going to be able to commit yourself, that you're not going to be as engaged, that right. um, you're, you're just not going to be as valuable to the to the company right. a, a, as as before. And that feeling that I experienced back in the late 80s and early 90s or that fear that I had, I heard from women yeah. not too many years ago. Yeah. And they probably are still saying that today. Just, yeah. So it's very lonely and very, um, um, it's a, you know, something that's unique. But hopefully all this is going to change in time, I hope. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. So yeah. anyway, definitely the awareness has gone up and yeah. people's yeah. understanding. And um, it doesn't mean that you're less committed. Right. Uh, at of all, course. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. What did you, what did you do um, when you were, when you were feeling lonely or you like, how did you cope with that? Um, so maybe it's funny. I've had different people say, how can you compartmentalize different things? You know, whether something's happened in a meeting or, you know, you've got this deadline coming and you've got to get stuff done. I, I would, I had somehow, I don't know if it's the training I had back with my dad and, yeah, the work and my sports I pay, played in, and all the way through high school, 
you know, that allowed me to really focus. So I tried not in the positivity, again, going back to some of that, yep. try not to focus on the things that got underneath my skin. Mm-hmm. So I could typically compartmentalize. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you do that, though, uh, it takes something out of you to yeah. compartmentalize it. Yep. Even though I could compartmentalize it and say, okay, I got this job to do. I'm going to do that. Um, but it takes energy to compartmentalize. Oh, so yeah, I think course. I did a lot of compartmentalizing because yeah. there wasn't people that I could talk to until, again, the awareness started happening. There were yeah. more right. people I could talk to and felt more comfortable with. But yeah. early on, I just compartmentalized. And Pop took it out on my family. When I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not, but who knows? Uh, they probably would say so. Yeah. <laughs> so we all have Maybe it was my when I coached my daughter's basketball team for six years. There you, you know, go. Yeah. I had them doing laps and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's well, funny. Knowing knowing one of your kids, I think the work ethic has uh, trans uh, transferred from, from one yeah okay. one generation to the next. So, yeah. Yeah. just to bring some clarity for any of our listeners, so uh, when did you officially become CFO at, at Brown Forman? Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about about yeah. that. Yeah, if you could bring us up, maybe. Yeah. So to the. So, uh, yeah, I was at Brown Foreman um, uh, for a number of years in various financial roles. And mm-hmm. I think I did everything in finance or touched everything in finance in one way, shape, or form. I was the first female chief accounting officer at the company. Mm-hmm. You know, I did all the financial planning and analysis involved in investor relations and tax and treasury, production finance. All, it touched on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Paul, who was CEO uh, at the time, asked me to become the chief production officer um, in about 2012. And our chief production officer is outside of finance. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, got me out of my comfort zone. Probably the, the, one of the best things that he ever did for the company, me, and the finance area because it got um, – them less dependent upon me because there were a lot of the company was dependent on me in the finance area. I grew, a lot of people grew up, and I personally grew as a leader. Um, mm-hmm. It took me into an area that I wasn't familiar with, one that I could I had to rely upon the scientists and the engineers and the R and D. This is where we make the actually make the product. Yeah, you're actually yeah, in yeah. production. Yeah. You're in distilling. You're in R and D. You're in yep. the bottling. You're into the shipping and logistics and the whole whole nine yards. Wow. And so um, you had to sort of learn to be a true leader, I guess, at the mm-hmm. time, less of a doer. And because um, and, I knew everything, I grew up in the finance area. And so that lasted about 14 months. And then he asked me to, um, in 2013, I guess it was, 2014, but early 2014. It was late 2012. So, um, so January 2014, I became CFO. He asked oh. me to come CFO. Awesome. And so, um, and I was CFO for seven and a half years till I left Brown Foreman, retired from Brown Foreman last July. Yeah. So a little less than a year, soon to be a year, I guess, once this podcast hits the wires. Yeah. 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 So uh, was it that easy? You just named you CFO or did you have to go through board interviews Anything like that, or well, I had been exposed to the board, of course, for so many years prior mm-hmm. to then. Um, in the accounting, the chief accounting row, and the financial planning mm-hmm. row, and also I had technology underneath me, yeah. And so I was in front of the board probably at every 
board meeting, okay. presenting the business, the performance of the business, um, talking to the audit committee about our actual you know, accounting for this and that. Yeah. And then in the compensation area, which was another uh, committee member of the board on bonus structures and things like that, how to incentivize people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I worked closely with the guy in HR that did that at times. So they knew who I was. Yeah. And I'm sure Paul, you know, they, they knew it. Brown Forms is a fairly small company and mm-hmm. relatively speaking. And so uh, the board is is one of their jobs is succession planning. Yeah. CEO succession planning, but they, of course they care about the C-suite too. So mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't new to them by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, did I get a formal interview? No, but I think back and I can remember sitting at dinner and when board would come in for dinner, uh, come in for board meetings every other month. There were six of them a year. Mm-hmm. They sit at a table on Wednesday, not board meetings on Thursday, committee meetings on Wednesday afternoon, sit next to John Cook, who was our lead independent director. Do you, how would you like to be? What are your career ambitions? I mean, so I think back to some of, <laughs> yeah, some yeah, of the yeah. questions yeah. that perhaps I had at dinner. You've had years before. of interviews. Yeah. Uh, I've had those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of, yeah. I don't know. And honestly, would you, if you all had asked me, did I aspire to be the CFO? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how'd you answer that question? I would have asked? said I would have never dreamed of being the CFO um, until people started saying something to me when, the CFO before me was named CFO, and they're like, "I should have been you." I'm like, "Me, Jane Moreau? Mm-hmm. And so um, I just was again, given my background, given my father a skilled machinist, things I'm like, I've done way more than I ever thought I would do in my life. Yeah. Um, and so, and I also think I lacked some confidence, as a lot of women do. Mm-hmm. Keep your head down. Yeah. Don't. don't through relationships, which are all things they we need to do, build relationships and and have confidence in yourself. Um, but I, uh, uh, I didn't have that really what I needed until people started doing that. And then I'm like, hmm, maybe I could be CFO. So then I started talking to Paul uh-huh. and Lisa Steiner, who was our HR uh, head of HR at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think I might do this. Yeah. I think I might want to do this. What do I need? What do I lack? What's the experience I have? What, yeah, yeah. what are my deficits? Uh, what do I need to work on? Yeah. So, so, cool. so there was things. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was a, <laughs> it was a journey, a long yeah, journey. Yeah, there yep. was a series of events <laughs> yeah. preceding. Yeah, yeah, for exactly, sure. Exactly. For sure. Nothing happens yeah. that quickly. So, yeah. anyway, which is fine. You know, right, we yeah. had the experience and mm-hmm. And prepared me for it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been ready, and I wouldn't have been ready if Paul hadn't asked me to be the chief production officer either. If I had just gone from my last role in finance to the CFO. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. In that in that vein, um, you said you learned um, how to be less of a doer and more of a leader. W- what did you mean by that? Yeah. So um, a leader doesn't. Um, there. Well. I think at Brown Forman it's a small company, so everybody does something. <laughs> it's not as if you're not doing, but it's not you're not doing the day to day. At the time, I was writing to 10K and 10Qs and things like that. Well, I didn't have to do that to be the leader. I was then connecting dots or looking more strategically mm-hmm. um, at issues or our insights or opportunities. 
I was leveraging the talents of the people, people that I yeah. had. I was growing and developing them, mentoring folks. You're not just sitting, not doing anything. I don't mean to make right, it sound right. like that, yeah. but yeah. but I wasn't I wasn't the actual producer of the right. of different things, and so mm-hmm. um, it's it's a, more of a strategic and more visionary um, uh, position, and then more probably was re- very rewarding to me in terms of um, I think of. People say, "What's your what are you most proud of accomplishment?" Well, I'm like, I did lots of things. The first executive information system, mm-hmm. our biggest acquisition at Brown Farman, uh, our first chief county. Anyway, I mean, the list could go on. But I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, forget about all that stuff. It's really the people, yeah, um, and the people that I was able to work. With, particularly the the past seven and a half years that I was there. The last seven and a half years I was there, um, and I had a great team. There, everybody was phenomenal. Couldn't be more proud of them, and mm-hmm. watching them grow and helping them learn, and and you know, giving people things inches and miles, and seeing them grow and blossom, and that was to me the most rewarding. And we built a, a global first class uh, finance organization, and IT too, by the way. Um, I don't talk a lot about IT, but IT was considered um, before I had um, Ed underneath me, and was run by Tim Nall, who's now. Uh, I think he was just promoted. He was the chief information officer, but now he's the chief production and information officer. <laughs> um, but fin- uh, a technology was considered at the time uh, before it was under me as a um, keep the lights on. Yeah. You know, get, yeah. Your, get your PC going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I need my mobile IT device. Department. The IT department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, backup, you know, SAP system, things yeah. like that, as opposed yep. to a true enabler of growth. Right. A true what, where we could partner together to get the data so that it would lead to the insights. Um, so how can we pull external data and internal data together and marry them, both qualitative and quantitative information to mm-hmm. to understand the consumer and what's the insight and how can we beat competition by having this information and yeah. so that was all um was that all you're doing in uh in your previous roles like uh, at 2000 to 2010-ish well or? i've always had a love for technology but at the uh, but before then it was more in the transactional that we did y2k sap yeah. uh, took us a few years to get sap up and going. That yeah. was all under my time. Um, oh, okay. And leveraging yeah. SAP as far as we could to automate things to, you know, make us the most efficient back office that mm-hmm. we could could. But, um, but I always had a love for not the accounting. I mean, honestly, like I told y'all at the beginning, that my first job out of out of uh, uh, U of L was a accounting role at Brown at KFC that I was in. Then I was a supervisor in accounting. Then I got out of the accounting and went into strictly finance, which uh-huh. is more the analytical because you work with the business. Right. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as, and then they asked me to become accounting, the chief accounting officer. And I'm like, I don't really want to do it. But boy, <laughs> did I learn and grow from that. That I was a tough because yeah. when I went in there, it was before Sarbanes-Oxley. We didn't have the right controls in place. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the right talent. Terrible, tough decisions I had to make. So it was a huge growing experience. I remember yeah. calling my brother and my dad one night saying, 
I gotta let some people go. I mean, it was like gut wrenching to me. Yeah, that's hard. It was. It never got easy. It never has gotten easy. Mm -hmm. But it was gut wrenching because I think I'm running their lives. Yeah. But I didn't have the right talent. So, anyways, I had to restructure, downside, get new talent, do that. So technology was a piece of it. Mm -hmm. But I always loved the um, business side. So I mentioned uh, when I was first at Brown Foreman. me and this fellow and uh, built this system called Clarity. It was an executive information system. It was the first time you, you could tell orders, what orders were yesterday. I mean, oh, we thought it was awesome. real-time data. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lagging indicator still, but it was leading for us at still, the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was something I would come in and look at every day. And so mm-hmm. I loved that. I could tell you what was doing well and what wasn't doing well. Yeah, um, that's and awesome. And so... I guess I always, a long-winded answer that technology always kind of followed me and I, yeah, yeah. from either an efficiency perspective, um, from a back office efficiency, but really from a insights and analytics yeah. and reporting mm-hmm. and consistency and one single source of truth and yeah. all that type of things. So, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah. uh, in, in response to your long-winded question, <laughs> I'm, I'm famous for long-winded, very long-winded answer. I'm famous for long-winded questions, That's compound true. questions. Oh, so let me, let me... I thought maybe you were going to go refer oh, to Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, not again. Yeah. Um, we'll keep that table to ourselves. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Well, before we let you go, I do know you have one other passion. Um, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, you've done some work in that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you kind of want to walk us through what maybe the lack of that through your career and how that's advanced towards yeah. more towards today and kind of your experience in that? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, I didn't even know what D and I was until Ralph came to Ralph Day Shabir, who I mentioned earlier in this mm-hmm. podcast, uh, came to Brown Foreman. And um, so he was, he opened a lot of our eyes up to um, the continuum of male and female, or uh, whites and blacks, or heterosexual and homosexual, you know, the whole, all different things that, mm-hmm. quite frankly, and then things in life started making more sense, or you started opening your eyes, and they're like, why do I raise, roll my window up when I come into this part of town? What are these people? Are, okay, you got a perception, you got a bias, you, you know, mm-hmm. all these different things. And so um, I don't think um, that awareness um, existed at KFC. I know it didn't, and it didn't exist at Brown Foreman for the first 15 years I was there, I guess. Um, And so he brought a lot of the awareness in, and then we built um, ERGs, which are employee resource groups, uh, or we built them. People came forward and said, hey, we want to have a women's uh, resource group, which I was the executive sponsor for um, at a point in time for about um, seven, nine years. I can't remember what it was. then that was our uh, growing, remarkable, outstanding women. And under that period of time, we put forward a strategy that Paul asked us to put forward because he would see these numbers and saying, gosh, we look like we've got a lot of women down here, pretty equitable, 50-50. But as you go up this funnel, it's really lopsided. So mm-hmm. what are the barriers and obstacles preventing women from getting through the pipeline at Brown Foreman? So that during that time, we laid out a strategy we laid out a diagnostic of the issue and then yeah. a strategy of how to address it, which are still embarked upon. Um, and then after 
being part of that group for so long, it was wonderful, but not as wonderful as the last couple years that I was at Brown Foreman where Ralph asked me to head up our Black Brown Employee Resource Group, which was called BUILD. Mm-hmm. And I got to go through um, really uh, time, cho- what John Lewis says, the time has chosen you. You have chosen the time. I'm not going to get that quote right. Y'all, <laughs> y'all can look at it. We'll try to look that one <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, okay. Um, but uh, I didn't choose the time. It chose me for sure. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be there during a time with the Breonna Taylor and the George Floyd. And so that was a very painful time for our black employee. Mm-hmm. Um uh, at Brown Foreman, and I learned so much about that. Did a lot of work myself, didn't depend upon others, um, and I probably grew more in people in those two years than I did in 40 years, I mean, mm-hmm. honestly. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, it was such a tremendous learning. And from that experience, I've got a real passion for um, thinking about Louisville and um here we are at Brown Foreman, and we were down in the west end of Louisville, 18th and Broadway. Mm-hmm. And around is the California neighborhood and Portland and all the different areas. And it get past whatever, west of 9th Street, and there's definitely inequities. Mm-hmm. And so um, I um, have a passion to continue to do work in the area of, of helping to reduce the inequities in in Louisville, I think that it will make this comp- this city, which is already great, that much greater. Um, and we all win if we can do that. And mm-hmm. so, companies like Brown Foreman just announced a fifty million dollar investment in education from early childhood all the way through college. That or is Humana is building a first hospital in the West End of Louisville. So wow. all the corporations are coming forward to make a difference. And I want to continue to work in that space and whatever it might be. Uh, had, I wanted to, to um, hopefully we'll get back to normal next year with COVID, knock on wood, mm-hmm. behind us um, and be able to do some work that I was going to do this past year in the yeah. West End of Louisville and JCPS system, working with and mentoring kids and coaching them and who knows, teaching maybe, because that was always something that I thought I could do too. So, yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. So, very anyway. cool. Yeah. So, I got a big passion for that. And mm-hmm. again, it was sparked by um, Ralph and all the learnings and teachings that we got from him. Yeah. So, that's really so. great. Well, if we were to have you back on here in five years, do you have any idea what you'd be telling us you've been up to? Well, gosh, what would I be up to, have been up to? Um, I'm, I always say, uh, living a portfolio life now, mm-hmm. which consists of um, a couple boards. Um, I'm on a couple of for-profit boards. I can consider, can see me continue to do that. I'm a person that likes to keep my brain active and going. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I'll continue to do that and make an impact on some boards, have some passion for nonprofits on UofL a Business School Advisory Board, like the education aspect in the Catholic Education Foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as they'll have me. Yeah, not I'll go into something else. Yeah. Uh, um, who knows? I might be, uh, do a little bit of more consulting. I've done a little. Mm-hmm. Helped a a, uh, a company go IP, from an IPO to public. And That's really neat. That's cool. Is yeah. that Vita Coco? Vita Coco. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great experience. Yeah. And um, did you get to go ring the bell? You know, uh, they yes, I could have gone really? up there with them. They asked asked to go if we, if I wanted to go, but uh-huh. I. I it's like, hey, you'll need to do it to the people that have been with the company long yeah, enough. Yeah. So yeah. Go. back so, to your culture yeah. 
and what yep. you value. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah. they had a full stage of, of people that have been part of Vitacocal since 2003 or four when yeah, they first found it. Yeah. Y'all should listen to that story, too, if you want to listen to it. Okay. Great story. Yeah, that, that Mike, sounds very... Mike and his uh, friend Ira, um, mm-hmm. and Mike Kleben, um, he's great, great story. You'll, yeah. You'll yeah. love it, and you'll, if you don't like coconut water, you'll love it now. All right, good. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Good. Um, and then, of course, uh, I'll have, uh, beyond that, uh, I have a family. Uh, I have a daughter uh, who has three uh, children, and wow. so we've been spending and lot, luckily, yeah. more time uh, than I was able to do with perhaps my own children. Um, so I've enjoyed that. It's been a lot of fun. So That's more great. time with family, for sure. Yep. And I'm taking up a few hobbies, learning how to play the piano. Oh. Maybe by then I can tell you all I've learned how to play something really fancy. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, be good to teach the grandkids too. There you, there you go. Well, I have it. They already come in and bang on it. Oh so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. My son. Yep. That's awesome. So, so anyway, so, cool. I hope uh, you know just more things that perhaps impact people and yeah, and yeah. lives. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That seems to be the most rewarding thing. Yep. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. So, yep. Continued mentoring. And yeah. Coaching. Yeah. Who knows? I may even go back to coaching basketball someday. Yeah. There, there you go. go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Have Love it. Well, yeah. and that's that's the beauty of those grandkids, right? It's, that's right. I could start it all over with them. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And I'm sure Jackie and Matt will appreciate the break. So. I'm sure they will. <laughs> they, they get lots of breaks with me. Yeah. Good. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Jane, thank you so much for being a guest today. We really appreciate hearing your story and some of the adversity you had to overcome. So thank you very much, and. Uh, We'll be back next time. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you all. 